My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic, and I'm excited to be with you guys uh, today. Over the last few months, we have been traveling through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is really the story of the first followers of Jesus, uh, the the first people who uh, were disciples, the the people who spent time uh, learning from Jesus, and, and, and their mission to carry the good news of who Jesus is to the world. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Jesus came to the earth and he lived a perfect life. He died a, a death that he didn't deserve. In fact, he died the death that we deserve so that we could have life in him. And Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And he handed, uh, in, in those following days, he handed this incredible mission to the church to go take the good news of who he is and what he had done to the whole world. And so the book of Acts is, is where we've been traveling. And, and as we've uh, been in the last few weeks through the book of Acts, we've started to, to kind of bump up against this tension, uh, this struggle that those first followers of Jesus had uh, as they were taking the good news of who Jesus was to the world. You see, uh, during that time, there were really two main types of people from a biblical perspective. There were Jewish people, God's chosen people, the people that God chose centuries before to begin revealing himself to and preparing humanity uh, to, to receive Jesus. The Jewish people were the people of God that had all the rites and rituals. They had all the worship uh, requirements. They had the law, uh, which was the way that they could follow God and know how to be right with God. And those were, uh, those were the, the ways that they interacted uh, with God and with the people around them. And you had another type of person, which was basically a non-Jewish person, and they were described as Gentiles. If you're here and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. You can relate. I can relate. And the reality is, is that these two different types of people, it was a little bit of a struggle to try to figure out how they were to follow Jesus. Because the Jewish people had all of these different uh, rites and rituals and laws and things that, that they believed were, were core and essential to following God. And Jesus came with, with this kind of new perspective, this, this new perspective from the perspective of law to the perspective of grace and truth. Uh, one, one of Jesus' first disciples, John, he, he wrote the book of John, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time uh, in the book of John today. Uh, John says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, and here in the, the 21st century, we don't really deal a whole lot with the Jewish law, right? When was the last time you were at work and you were like, you know, I was really thinking the other day how I shouldn't be wearing so many blended garments because that's against God's law. Like, you, you, you know, you don't have those kinds of conversations. You know, you, you, you don't look at a hot dog and say, is that kosher? Now, to be honest, you probably should because what's in a hot dog anyway? I don't think anyone knows. If you ever want to never eat a hot dog again, you can go on to, uh, I think it's a TLC show, How It's Made, and watch how hot dogs are made. You'll never eat one again. You're welcome. Um, but, the, but the reality is, is that that's not kind of what we deal with on a daily basis. We don't, we don't kind of wrestle through the dynamics of, uh, you know, the Jewish law and following God. That's not kind of our context. But I'll tell you what is our context, especially here in the United States of America, as our culture and our society wrestles through our moral fabric, 
we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are going to wrestle with each other and with people who are outside of the Christian faith who do not know Jesus yet. We're going to struggle and wrestle through a lot of issues that are going to require from us quite a bit of grace and quite a bit of truth. The problem is is that often grace and truth seem juxtaposed, right? So often you you stand in a moment, in a conversation, in in a situation uh, with someone, you're interacting with people, and it's kind of hard to know whether we extend grace in one moment or truth in one moment. Often they do seem juxtaposed. I spent some time in Seattle last summer. Uh, for the last good bit, uh, marijuana has been legalized in the, in the state of Washington. And, and Seattle, of course, is a big, big area for this. And there was a, a homeless man. I was kind of walking through doing some shopping. And there was a homeless man. And I typically do my best to interact with homeless people. Just really want to, uh, as much as possible, share the love of God with them. And uh, this man was holding up a sign that said, I don't want food, I just want to buy weed. He, 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 he's holding up a sign, and people are walking over to him and handing him money to go buy marijuana. And, and the reality is, is that if that happens here in Florida, we're going to have to start to wrestle with those things. We'll probably have to start buying more donuts here at Mosaic <laughs> as well. <sighs> You can email your complaints to phil at mosaicfl.org. <laughs> He's actually right over there. So feel free to see him. He's my boss. You can dock my pay for that comment. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're going to have to wrestle. How do we interact with a changing culture and a changing society where the rules are changing and, and nothing really seems to be off limits anymore just because Uh, our previous generation said it wasn't okay. And you and I are going to be required as followers of Jesus to extend grace and to extend truth to people at different times and in different situations and in different places. And there's a tension and it's a challenge. It depends probably on your, your upbringing. I, I grew up, um, my, my father passed away when I was very young, so I, I grew up in a single parent home. My mom, she was Miss Grace. Uh, I mean, uh, she's the sweetest woman, five foot three, you know, 110 pounds of chocolate. That's just who she is. And she loves people like crazy. Her famous phrase, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter if the house is burning or there's bad chicken in the fridge, it's, it'll be fine. Just, it'll be fine. I'll eat the chicken, you know, no worries. And I grew up in that, and, and as a teenager, I began to realize, you know, I could probably take advantage of this, this grace thing. And uh, my sister was married to uh, a guy, so my brother-in-law um, was quite a bit older than me, and he kind of saw the need and, and saw the, the opportunity, and, and it was really actually good, although I hated it, to be Mr. Truth in my life, right? So I had my mom as Miss Grace and then my brother-in-law as Mr. Truth. And he frequently stepped into my life and shared truth with me that I wasn't excited about. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Everyone loves to receive grace, right? It's fun to receive grace. But receiving truth can be a little bit tougher, especially from an authority figure that's not actually your father. And, and so I, Roger and I, we had our battles. And he also happened to be a basketball coach at the school I was attending. And obviously from my physique, you can tell I was a dominant basketball player. 
So I played on the team, kind of, um, which really means I like played for a while. He would kick me off the team for bad behavior because he didn't need me anyway. And, uh, and then I would get back on the team and he would kick me off. And one day I went to practice and uh, I was being dumb and lazy and, uh, and Roger kicked me off the team yet again. And it was the last time from my perspective. I was just so mad. And so uh, where we were practicing was close to my home. And I kind of was like huffing and puffing and walking home and I'm crying, trying to be tough, but I'm crying. And uh, you know, I'm 14 years old, I'm angry. And I walk into my, uh, to my back door at my house and my mom kind of had this odd habit of leaving the bottom of the door unlocked, but locking the chain to the door. So when you walk in, it was always like, open up, bam, and you like kind of hit yourself against the door. And I was like slamming it, I was so mad. And so I kind of like walked into the door and I was so angry. And so we had some glass in the door and I decided I would punch through the glass and open up the, uh, the chain that way. And as I did that, I kind of made my thumb bleed. So I'm bleeding all over the place. I'm crying, I'm mad, I get into my house. And I feel like I want to express some truth back to Roger, my brother-in-law. So I decide to write on my kitchen wall in blood. <clears throat> I mean, who writes like that anyway? Because it was like my thumb, so it was awkward. I mean, I felt so weird. Like, anyway. So, all right. I hate Roger in blood. What kind of psycho? (laughs) And here I am preaching to you today. Aren't you glad? (laughs) You may exit at any point in the service. I'll be okay. But grace and truth, they often seem to collide in our lives. And, and, and the reality is, is we love uh, when people extend grace to us. But, but we struggle so often uh, when it comes to truth, when it's applied toward us. See, we like, we like to judge uh, other people based on their actions, but we want to be judged based on our intentions, Right? And the reality is, is that these, these two dynamics of grace and truth, that there's, there's tension that exists in this dynamic. And some of it has to do with our upbringing. Some of it has to do with, with who are we interacting. Some, some of it has to do with our circumstances and our previous hurts and pains. And, and, and the reality is, is we're constantly surrounded by other human beings, some of whom know Jesus and some of whom don't. And if we know Jesus, our calling in life is to extend grace and to extend truth in appropriate times and in appropriate ways. And yet, so often we struggle to figure out what is appropriate. You know, we, we live in a culture and in a, in a society where certain people are looking in on, on the church, looking toward the church for answers about what God thinks about them. They're looking in on us and saying, here's what I'm dealing with, here's what I'm going through, here's what I've done, here's what I've experienced. What does God say about that? And you and I, are forced and stuck in a moment and in a situation to respond. And how are we going to respond? And a lot of Christians like to say, well, you know what? It's fine because I can love the sinner, but I can hate the sin. But Jesus never said that. 
In fact, the sentiment of Jesus was a little bit different. In fact, Jesus said, hey, why don't you take care of the plank in your own eye before trying to deal with the speck in the eye of your neighbor? It's a man uh, by the name of Tony Campolo, and he was talking about a particular issue that people are struggling with in our society today and how Christians interact with those people. And this idea of loving the sinner but hating the sin and, and how, yeah, maybe that's, that's kind of true. We do hate sin and we should love sinners, but, but wouldn't it be so much better and wouldn't it be so much more refreshing? And wouldn't we position ourselves so much better to extend grace to people if we loved sinners and hated our own sin? You see the difference there? Oh, I can love the sinner but hate the sin. Well, how about loving the sinner and hate your own sin? See, that's when, when grace and truth begin to meet is, is in those moments where we recognize what Jesus is calling us to is something altogether new and altogether different and altogether beautiful. Yet the reality is, even still, sin is a ravaging disease and it destroys people's lives. It does. I've been walking with Jesus for a while and I've seen it in my own life. I've seen my own sin destroy. I've seen it in the lives of people here at Mosaic as I've been pastoring here for the last few years and I've interacted with so many families. I know that sin destroys lives and you do too. The other day I was uh, shopping and um, I'm super domesticated by the way. Um, Sorry ladies, I'm taken. Um, I, uh, I've been cooking a lot. You know, when you're 30 and, and you're, you know, you're single for a long time, you learn some skills. And uh, so I've been, been shopping a lot. I've been cooking a lot and, you know, all of that. And uh, I went and I bought some, some chicken. I bought some, you know, good, good food, vegetables, things like that. And uh, I got home, you know, excited, started making the food and, uh, and, you know, go about my day. And the next day I get in my car and I'm driving. I'm like, there's a little bit of a funk in this car. I'm not really so sure what it is, and I'm like sniffing and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. I'm like, did I leave some stinky shoes in it? Like, what in the world? And I'd been to the beach recently, so I figured maybe there was a beach towel, but I was busy. I had things to do, so I just kind of went to and from, parked my car, and I don't drive my car that often, and so a couple of days go by, and I open my car door, and what came into my nostrils... was the most rancid smell I have smelled in my days on this planet. I had left two packages of chicken breast. Look, it was two nineteen a pound. That's a good deal. All the ladies said, hey, Publix. <laughs> At BOGO life, you know what I'm talking about? Two nineteen a pound. Worthless, right? So it's, it's in my car, two packages of chicken breast, just disgusting. So I opened my car and realized what it was and I thought, oh no, it's in the trunk. And I opened the trunk to be met with a horde of full-grown flies. I mean, the biggest flies you could imagine. I'm talking like big suckers. Because here's the deal, it's Florida and it's summer. And this last week, were you guys here? It was hot really hot. 
And these flies had made homes in the chicken. And the chicken was like blown up and bloated. And you guys are like going, I need more coffee or something right now. Because, uh, all <laughs> right. It was disgusting. In fact, my car for the last week has really been completely unusable. I mean, think about it. You know, hey, Lauren, let's go on a date tonight. Why don't you hop in my ride? You know, bring up oxygen mask. I don't know. Like, you can't use it. And, and he, here's the reality about sin in our lives. It's, a, it's this rotting and decaying reality that as long as it's there, the, the, the more it decomposes, the more it affects what sin affects in our lives, the more rot and decay and destruction and death that sin brings in our lives, the less usable we become as a vehicle for the gospel. So we see that, that there are these two realities, the, the reality of grace, which matters deeply, and the reality of truth, which, if ignored, can cause insane amounts of damage in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And we find ourselves in this tension and with a need to experience grace and truth in a whole new way. I want you guys to grab your Bibles. We're going to go to John chapter 8. I think perhaps the, uh, the greatest, the greatest picture, the greatest demonstration of this reality is John chapter 8. Go to John chapter 8, which is found on a 581 of the Mosaic Bibles. Jesus, he is a uh, a teacher, and people are beginning to follow him. And uh, he's a teacher of the law, and, and so there's, there are other teachers of the law that are kind of looking in on his teaching, and they're seeing this following that he's gaining and becoming jealous. So they begin to, to try to find ways to, to trick Jesus, to, to make it so that, that Jesus will look bad in front of other people and, and demean his following. And, and so they, they, they came up with this sick and twisted plan to trap Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves. John chapter eight. Start, uh, we'll start in verse one. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. See, there's his following. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, these are the other teachers of the law that are jealous and want to trap him. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. I want you guys to just take a moment. Let's Take a moment together and place ourselves in the shoes of this woman. You know, in that culture and in that time, there, there could have been a number of reasons that, that could have brought this woman to this moment. And we don't know what those are. 
Often in, in that culture and time, if you didn't have a, a spouse or a husband to provide for you, there was really no other way for you to, to be provided for other than prostitution. Often widows or, or uh, women who had been divorced would go and seek provision from other men who were married. And this woman, she's caught in adultery and may, maybe it was just her own bad decision. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't really tell us but the reality is, is she's been caught in the act of adultery. Perhaps the most horrifying experience someone can go through. And they drag her to Jesus. At this point in time, Jesus had gained such notoriety that everyone in town would have known he was there. And as this woman is being dragged into the street, can you imagine, can you imagine how horrified she would have been to recognize and know that she had been thrown down at the feet of this wonderful teacher, Jesus? How embarrassed she would have been? Anyone but Jesus, put me in front of a, a Roman centurion or put me in front of one of the other Pharisees, but just anyone but Jesus. Caught in guilt and shame, embarrassed, broken. She's at his mercy. It says, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. See, the Jewish law, the law of Moses required that, that women who were adulteresses were to be stoned to death. And these people knew that Jesus would have been required to obey the law of Moses. They said this to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. You see, in the Roman law, they wouldn't have been allowed to stone this woman without a trial. And so they, they wanted to, to trap Jesus so that they could bring a charge against him. This was a lose-lose situation. It was a lose-lose situation for the woman, for sure. But it was a lose-lose situation for Jesus. Because either Jesus obeyed God's law, or he, he obeyed the law of man. But Jesus did something altogether different. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Everyone wishes they know what he wrote. Nobody does. Verse seven. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And only Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. You know, he was the only one in that crowd who could have rightly thrown a stone at that woman because he was without sin. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, 
neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. See, in one beautiful moment, we see Jesus extending grace and truth. In one beautiful moment, we see Jesus pick up grace and pick up truth and make something altogether new. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. It's in the Gospel of John, and in, in John chapter 1, you can turn in your Bibles there. Um, it's on page 576 of the Mosaic Bibles. John is getting ready to describe Jesus in his Gospel. And he, he, he paints this picture of this word, this, this thing that would communicate who God is to us people. He, he describes Jesus as this word who became flesh, who took on human flesh, who became a human to come and live and dwell among us. He says in verse 14 of chapter one that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. And there's our words. Full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was full to the brim of grace and truth. Continue in verse 16, it says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And he says this, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If we are to demonstrate as Jesus followers who God is to the world, the only way by which we can extend grace and truth to people perfectly is in the person of Jesus. See, what, what we think we need so often is to extend some grace or to extend some truth, but the reality is we're called to extend Jesus to people because only in Jesus is there fullness of grace and truth. See, the truth is, we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is included in that reality. Regardless of your past, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of how many church services you've attended, how many Bible studies you've attended or led. It doesn't matter. All of us here, every single one of us, we are all sinners. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the ugly truth is that everyone is a sinner. But here's the grace. They all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely. 
We are justified because of what Jesus has done. And it's a free gift of grace to us. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift from God. It's not from ourselves, not because we've worked for it or we'd be able to brag about it. But the reality is that all of us have received grace upon grace in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't need a balance of grace and truth. We need fullness. We need fullness of Jesus Christ. If Mosaic Church is to be the church that we are called to be, we need to be full of Jesus and give Jesus to people. Our society is becoming more and more complex. And Jesus is the answer, full of grace and truth. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, Jesus is the one that begins with grace with us and he continues our faith with truth and sanctification, pulling out the garbage and the rotten chicken and all of the sin that's in each one of our lives. He's the author and he's the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Let's fix our eyes on him. Because Jesus wants us. It says in Hebrews that, that who for the joy set before him, which was us, by the way, Jesus endured the cross. And our mission is to go find every person that Jesus' blood has purchased for salvation. And we don't do that by getting really good at grace or getting really good at truth. We do that by getting to know Jesus and giving him to everyone we, we encounter. Let that be our mission at Mosaic Church. Let's pray together. God, we are so very thankful for you. God, we recognize that we are inadequate in and of ourselves to, to live lives that reflect you perfectly, to live lives that, that extend grace and extend truth when needed. We don't always know what to do, God. In fact, we often don't know what to do. God, I pray that you would begin to, to shape our hearts and to change us. God, make us understand that, that what we need most in this life is Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be people who would live lives on mission, fixing our eyes on you, Jesus, full of you, because Jesus, you are full of grace and truth. And I pray that we would be people who would extend you to the world. God, we confess that, 
that so often there are other things that, that pull at our attention, that pull at our heart. And we often just extend ourselves to other people, whatever we're thinking or feeling in the moment to people in our lives, our, 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 our spouses and our, our, our children and our brothers and sisters and, and our parents and, and our friends and our classmates and our coworkers and our neighbors. God, we so often extend ourselves. But God, we, we know that we need to extend you. So help us, God, become more full of you so that we can give you to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.